Welcome to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast, where AOPA's legal and medical certification staff, along with leading industry voices, take on the challenges and developments that all pilots deal with. From staying out of trouble with the FAA, to becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. Welcome to our AOPA Pilot Protection Services Podcast. I am uh, Dr. Jonathan Sackey, and I'm proud to author the Flywell columns in AOPA Pilot Magazine, as well as contributing to our online offerings. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend and colleague, Gary Crump, who's Director of Medical Certification at AOPA. Say hi, Gary. Hey, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Well, I'm just dandy. I've actually had a bit of a blocked ear, which is appropriate because today we're going to talk about otorhinolaryngology or to decode this $100 Medispeak word, ear, nose, and throat issues. You know, it's important for everyone to be able to uh, hear, stay balanced, to speak, and to equalize pressure in their ears. But for some people, it's more important than others. So, you know, I love to scuba dive. And if you can't equalize the pressure as you're diving, then you can't dive. And for pilots, to be able to hear, stay balanced, to speak clearly and to equalize the pressure in their ears is critically important. So first of all, Gary, can you tell us some of the ear, nose and throat issues that you tend to hear about? Occasionally, not frequently, but we hear about Meniere's disease. I'll just start out with that one because that's one of the big, the biggest bugaboos for uh, aviators. Meniere's is kind of one of those weird diseases where it's very difficult to diagnose, but it has significantly adverse complications that makes it problematic from an aeromedical certification standpoint. Meniere's disease manifests itself with uh, disequilibrium, vertigo, and disequilibrium that can come literally out of nowhere. And then the person afflicted with that could be symptomatic for a period of hours or days or even less time than a few hours, and then the symptoms completely disappear, and they may not recur ever, and they may recur in three years. They may come back in three months. For that reason, that's one of the more difficult certification problems that the FAA has to deal with, and certainly for any of us that have ever experienced any type of potentially incapacitating disequilibrium, like if you've had a severe case of the flu or food poisoning or some type of inner ear infection, uh, you certainly wouldn't want that to happen while you're on a a tight, low approach into an airport under IFR conditions. So obviously um, that poses some problems. Other hearing issues, we get questions about people who have a, a partial or total hearing loss in one ear. The Part 67 medical standards only require that you hear a conversational voice at six feet with your back turned to the examiner. So even if you've had a total hearing loss in one ear, as long as you can still meet that six-foot conversational voice standard with the other ear, you've met the standard. Even if you are totally deaf, pilots can be medically uh, certificated who are totally deaf. They just have a restriction on their medical certificate that they uh, can't fly in areas that require two-way radio communication. We occasionally deal with small benign tumors called acoustic neuromas, Obviously, those are potentially problematic as well, but if they're treated 
and uh, without any post-operative complications, such as you know, hearing loss, which is, again, not that terribly big a deal, but as long as there's no uh, post-operative uh, symptoms, uh, disequilibrium, vertigo, anything like that, acoustic no- neuromas uh, can be surgically excised, and uh, pilot can get a medical certificate after that. So those are probably the, the big things that we hear about. Just uh, one other thing, sensory neuro- uh, hearing loss, we hear, I have a lot of older aviators, especially pilots that have been around airplanes, loud, noisy, like radial engine airplanes, vintage airplanes, or who have just not worn a appropriate hearing protection while they were flying who have acquired a, a usually a high frequency hearing loss and again if the, F, the FA is fairly liberal with the hearing standards because the, there are actually a couple of different ways to meet the standard if you cannot pass the conversational voice the six-foot conversational voice so you can do audiometric testing and most of the people that have the high frequency loss have no problems hearing with a good noise canceling headset when they're in the airplane so they can uh, get a waiver that will say must wear hearing amplification and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to wear a hearing aid it just means hearing amplification so as long as you got a good noise canceling headset that enables you to hear uh, normal uh, uh, radio communications that's not a problem at all so I guess that's kind of the basket of the typical types of hearing uh, questions that come our way yeah those those are great uh, Gary and Look, it's fair to say that there are other things that can cause balance issues. You know, if you're just a little bit unwell with an upper respiratory tract infection, like a cold or or the flu, or you're recovering, that can impair your ability to balance. It's one of the reasons why, if you're just not 100% fit, you shouldn't be flying, right? Absolutely, yeah. And of course, there's medications that can impair uh, your balance, and uh, many of which are over-the-counter, and people think, well, if I don't need a prescription, that's not going to be a problem for FAA, but that's not true, and we've seen a lot of that, haven't, haven't we, Gary, over the years? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, we may have talked about that on one of our previous podcasts. The, uh, the medications question is always something that's a big concern to the FAA. In fact, they spend a lot of staff time in the Office of Aerospace Medicine and in, and in Oklahoma City with their docs out there who review new medications that have recently been FDA, Food and Drug Administration, approved before they will allow those medications to be used in flying. And they really do a thorough job of evaluating all the available literature to see what the potential for adverse side effects that would be contraindicated for flying. So, yeah, medications is always a big deal, even if it's an over-the-counter, because everybody can be affected by medications differently. So it's a very individualized thing, and yet the FAA still establishes policies for uh, medications that apply to everybody, whether you're experiencing any problems with them or not. So, yeah, medications is always a big concern. Yeah, and listen, I know that you and I have talked about this uh, one-on-one, and we we get questions about it. People get angry and they say, well, damn it, it's been approved by FDA. Why can't I use it? Well, the reason is because when you're doing clinical trials, evaluating new medications, and you look at a homogeneous population of a very alike population, there may be very few pilots in that population. And you just don't know how a medication is going to behave in a much larger group of people. So FAA likes to wait a bit until a drug has been used in the general population and any other side effects that weren't ascertained during the clinical trials can declare themselves. So I think that's worth saying. And I think it's, I don't think we can repeat often enough before you take any medication, make sure that it's allowed by FAA. The M 
in the I'm safe acronym uh, is medications. And so, you know, it, it's right up there front and center. And there's actually a lot of literature. The FAA puts a, a lot of information out. Certainly on our website, we have quite a bit of information about medications as well as having the acceptable medications database available. But we do get into a little bit of discussion on uh, one of our pages on the website about how the FAA establishes that policy, just like you uh, uh, spoke of just a moment ago. And I, even though it's a little distasteful perhaps, but the FAA wants to see the FDA's process being used by that, those multitudes that we call the guinea pigs in the general population before the FAA will translate that medication into the, into the aviation world to uh, allow aviators to use it. And they do re usually require a one-year observation period after a new medication comes on the market before they'll really seriously consider it for aviation purposes. And that's a big deal right now because there are so many, so many new medications coming out, the immunotherapies for different types of cancer treatments, so and a lot of the autoimmune diseases as well. So there are a lot of medications flooding the market right now, and the FAA is pretty much overwhelmed. So they're, they don't even look at every single medication. I just Throw this little aside out since we're talking about this. When a, a person wants to apply for a medical who is using a medication that has not been reviewed by the FAA before, they can't just contact the FAA and say, hey, I want to go on this medication. Will you review it and tell me if it's allowed? You would actually have to apply for the medical certificate. And if it is one of the medications that hasn't been evaluated yet by the FAA, you'd probably end up getting a denial letter initially and then you would appeal that, and then the FAA would go up to their therapeutics and pharmaceuticals committee in uh, FAA headquarters, and they would review the medication, look at the literature, and then make a determination. So somebody, one person, has to be kind of the, the, the pointy end of the spear when it comes to some of these newer medications. So it's, uh, it's a pretty bureaucratic process. So you know, it's best if you're not the first one in town to, uh, to apply for a, a medical using one of these newer medications. Uh, absolutely, and of course... Again, many of these uh, statements apply to so many of the organ systems, diseases and issues that come before us as healthcare professionals or in the aviation community that prevention is better than cure, right? So as it relates to ears, noses and throats, wear ear defenders. For goodness sake, at the airport, wear ear defenders. I don't know about you, Gary, but when I see you know, I'm stuck in a traffic light and some idiot pulls up next to me and is sharing his choice in music. It's probably not my choice in music. And you can hear, yeah. you know, this massive, massive bass. And of course, the idiot always has all, it's always, it's usually a he, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. Uh, all the windows are open so that everyone else can hear the um, deleted expletives thinly disguised as music booming from his speakers. The only thing that gives me gratification is I know that the so-and-so is going to be hard of hearing very, very soon. So wear ear defenders, protect your hearing. And, you know, if you're in the presence of someone who's coughing and sneezing, stay the heck away. Wash your hands regularly. Don't touch your face so that you don't pass germs uh, from shaking hands with someone who's just sneezed into their hands and you, you rub your nose and suddenly you've got a cold and a sore throat and you won't be flying. Don't fly with a cold, a flu, a sinus issue, and as we've said, taking any medi medications. So, Gary, let's talk a little bit about tinnitus. What, what have you heard uh, over the years, people talking about tinnitus, which... For the, the sake of people who don't know, is a constant sound of ringing in the ears. And it very often goes along with hearing loss. 
and is a symptom of exposure to loud noises, but it can come separately. So, and it can also be a sign of other inner ear disease. So what do you see of, of tinnitus, Gary? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the term the smart doctors use is idiopathic, which basically means we don't know what the heck's causing it for sure. I've never enjoyed being called an idiot, Gary, but, uh, <laughs> but you're exactly right. That means we're, we're idiots and we don't know what the pathology That's right. Yeah, I think literally idiot means you just don't know something, but obviously we've transformed that into a different connotation altogether in our society now. But uh, yeah, idiopathic means we don't really know the source of it. And tinnitus or tinnitus. I come from an operating room background. So uh, when we say uh, sometimes the accent is on a different syllable when you're in the operating room or in the healthcare environment, but I've heard it called tinnitus by the, by the docs and tinnitus in the advertisements on, on the television promoting some cure for it. Tinnitus is, is one of those conditions that the FAA will say it depends. So they use that a lot when they say, if I have condition X, can I get a certificate? Uh, well, it depends. And it always depends on a number of different things. But with tinnitus, if it's a, a really kind of a low pitch, kind of a background annoyance, and you've had it for a while and you've been evaluated by your ENT and they really haven't figured out what's going on, but can associate it maybe with a, a long period of chronic noise exposure or some some sequelae to uh, some type of an inner ear infection or, you know, they, again, they may not know exactly what caused it, but, but if it's just, it's kind of chronic and it's really not causing any problems to the point where, you know, a lot of people just don't even notice it anymore. It's, they're aware of it, but they don't really pay a lot of attention to it. That's not going to be a terribly big deal. The FAA is probably still going to want to see a report from the treating physician to give them some, some kind of idea what's going on with it. But on the extreme, the other end of the spectrum, where it's you know, obviously it's a, a fairly recent onset and it's loud and it's definitely distracting, definitely you want to get that evaluated. And in some cases, the FAA would probably not be able to grant certification if it was to the point where, you know, especially even if they didn't have some type of underlying diagnosis for it, if the symptom alone was significant that it was causing an obvious distraction and, and potential impairment. We've seen a small number of cases over the years where a pilot was not able to get certification just because of the severity of the, of the ringing. Yeah. So there are some new treatments that are coming along for, for this condition, but just as before, prevention is better than cure, so protect your ears. Now, earlier uh, in this podcast, we were talking about the, the hearing test for the aeromedical standards. But, you know, you can do these tests online uh, ahead of your medical to see if you do have a hearing problem. And if you've got a hearing problem, right, you can uh, get fitted with an aid. And as long as you can pass the hearing test, you can still fly. Correct, Gary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even uh, in the extreme cases with a cochlear implant, uh, I think the FAA has not granted a lot of certificates yet just because they probably haven't seen a lot of applicants who have applied with cochlear implants, but that technology has come, you know, really light years in the last few years. So uh, I think we've seen one or two uh, pilots who have been able to, uh, I think they do require a medical flight test. And as long as they can demonstrate uh, the ability to adequately hear normal communications, then uh, they've been able to be, uh, be granted a waiver for that as well. So I mentioned at the beginning of this that, that I had a bit of a dullness in my ear. You know, I've had a little bit of a um, a cold myself. Sometimes as people, you know, you, anyone can get that. If you have a cold, you, you know, your ears feel a bit blocked. But as people get older, 
sometimes that becomes a chronic problem, especially in a noisy environment. And people find that they have to do what's called a valsalva, which is to pinch their nose and blow out against pursed lips. And you can sort of feel your eardrum pop. That's sometimes caused by what we call flaccidity or weakness in the eustachian tube, which is a tube connecting the ear to the throat and helps you equalize pressure. As you get older, sometimes it gets a bit floppy. And there's a new procedure whereby we put a stent into it to hold it open, rather like a coronary artery. Have you been hearing about this at all, Gary, from an aeromedical perspective, or is that still just a little bit too new? I actually have not. I thought you were going to go down the road again back to my years in the operating room when we used to do put tubes in little kids ears because they had chronic ear block and they would insert tubes as a minor you know 10 minute procedure for these kids and put them under a little anesthesia and put tubes in them and their earaches went away and their mothers were happy and everything was was fine but no i've not talked to anyone yet that's had had one of the stent procedures done yet yeah so for any any pilots out there who are having this problem it's called a eustachian tube endoscopic stem procedure go and talk to your doctor about it and find out about it well as we move towards the end of this there's one other thing that i want to very briefly cover gary which i know you'll agree with me about that if you have a chronic sore throat please go and see your doctor because there's now an awareness that um, a lot of throat cancers uh, can be caused by the human papilloma virus, HPV, the same thing that causes yeah. a number of other cancers. And if you've got a chronic sore throat, get thee to a doctor pronto, because if it's caught early, it can actually be very effectively treated. So again, normally keep the hell away from doctors, but if you've got a problem that isn't going away, go see one. Do you have any closing comments, Gary, just before we wrap this up? Just on that subject, uh, I personally have talked with probably three or four pilots just this year who have undergone throat cancer surgery. And you know, years ago, I mean, that was a big, humongous operation. It's called a radical neck dissection. And sometimes it's avoid... also called the commando procedure. Yeah, oh, a commando. I've never, never heard that one before. That's an interesting, interesting name for yeah, it. It stands but, for Combined Mandibular Neural Resection. Ah, okay. All right. I learned something then. I've not heard that expression before. Good. But, uh, I mean, these pilots have done really well. They've been able to get their medicals reissued to them. And uh, the few that I've spoken with, their voice box, their larynx was not affected. So they caught it early. That's the key that you just mentioned is catching it early. Uh, the early you can catch these any type of cancer, but especially the throat cancer, the success rate and uh, good recovery has really improved a lot in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. It can very often actually be treated with radiation and chemotherapy. So right. get to a doctor. And, you know, as I think about docs, you know, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, one of the doc, one of the, the dwarfs rather was called Doc. And appropriately for our topic today, uh, one of the other dwarfs was called Sneezy. So, um, I don't know, maybe Grimm had something about, uh, you know, the medical profession or allergies. And I, I like, you know, Gary, you know me, I like stupid facts. The longest sneezing bout on record is from a lady named Donna Griffiths from my old country, from England, who kept sneezing for 978 days. Oh, my. And, um, if you don't want to challenge uh, Miss Griffiths' record and you have a problem with your ear, your nose, or your throat, get thee to a physician and also get thee to pilot protection services for the kind of uh, assistance that Gary and his brilliant team can provide. So uh, with no further ado, we'll 
Thank you for listening into this podcast and hope this was helpful and uh, somewhat entertaining. All the best from uh, myself and Gary. All right. Take care. Fly safe. Thanks for tuning in to the Pilot Protection Services podcast. We'll be back soon with more of your favorite topics and guests in general aviation. Pilot Protection Services is available only to AOPA members, and over 64,000 of those members choose to protect their certificates with PPS. It's a service we're proud to provide. Fly safe, and we'll see you soon.